Hello and welcome to the Word with Webb podcast. I'm Eric and I'm here with Pastor Richard Webb. Hi all. In this show, we get a chance to nerd out on a variety of biblical topics with Pastor Richard. They are very nerdy, and yes, we have quite the variety, um, and we'll probably give you more than you'd ever want to know about a whole lot of things. Always, always. Uh, So thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. Before we get started into the conversation, uh, I'd like to ask you all a quick favor. Our mission here at Hope is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. So if you could take a second and rate and review this show uh, and maybe send it to a friend that might be interested, that's one thing that you could do to help reach more people. We're now five full episodes into this first season of the show, this being the sixth now, uh, and I feel like we've covered so much ground already, Uh, my mind has just been blown by what we've discussed. Um, And and if you have any questions on a previous topic or suggestion for a future one, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that by emailing me directly at eric.payton at hopewdm.org. That's Eric with a C and Peyton with an E. And just hit include the uh, subject line, Word with Web, uh, and that would help me uh, sort those out. Uh, with that, let's just get right on into it, should we? I think we should. All right, so in today's episode, we're going to be discussing Lent. Um, this coming Wednesday, February 14th, is Ash Wednesday in the church calendar, and that marks the beginning of the Lenten season. So, um, this is a little bit different topic than we've had in previous episodes, and I anticipate this being more of a uh, almost a history of, of the church or a tradition conversation, but um, of course, it does have biblical grounding as well, and so we're going to uh, dig into that. So, let's jump on in. All right, I'm excited to just go for it. All right, so the first question I want to ask you is: um, This word "Lent" is not a not a term that we use in our everyday language. Obviously, it's a very churchy word. So, where does the word "Lent" come from? Ah, oh, this is so funny. First of all, there's a little principle: is churchy words are usually just old secular words. Uh, which I think is very, very funny. Like um, sometimes we'll walk into a church building and it'll be called a narthex. Well, that's just old Latin for lobby. Um, and, and it goes on. I learned something as I was digging around on this. I thought I knew where the word came from. Um, I had read somewhere that it came from an old Latin word, lentere, uh, meaning spring. Well, guess what? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It comes from an old English word, lengten. Um, and that means spring. And um, the Dutch, modern Dutch has a cognate, lente. Um, and the Germans have a, a word as well, lentz. Um, and it goes on and on and on. It's related to the word long, as in the days are getting longer. So that's where the word comes from. It, it does refer to spring. But if you start, you know, stomping around in... Um, uh, in the world of linguistics, you discover it's the, the we are in the season of of day lengthening. Um, there are other uh, traditions as well. If you're a Catholic, you might have heard it called uh, quadragesima, which means the fortieth. Um, and if you were Greek Orthodox, um, you might have heard it as tesserakosti, uh, which also means fortieth. You know, notice how all these archaic words are just normal words from other languages. Um, and to this day, there are um, various languages in Europe, as German and and Dutch, that that basically call it um, the fasting time. Uh, German is fastenzeit, and um, in Danish, it's festelaun. And, and so, but our word is Lent, and it does mean springtime. Okay. All right. So the the springtime, the the lengthening of days. Um, where did uh, where did Lent get started 
in the Christian church tradition then? Like, why did, why did we start celebrating or, or recognizing Lent? Uh, this is wild. This is where history gets interesting. Uh, everybody thought that, that Lent was where people who were uh, getting to know Jesus would, would get instructed and taught. And then at the end of that, on Easter, then they would be baptized. And so Lent was originally kind of when you had your new member class. It was, you know, it would have been, you know, a a six to seven session new member class and then for converts, and then they would have been baptized. Turns out that's not the case. Uh, It probably was here and there, but that was not a universally accepted practice. By the way, though, modern Catholics do use it for that. And I think it's kind of cool. So they have a whole season for people getting ready to commit their lives to Christ. And then it culminates on Easter Saturday with what they call the Easter Vigil at midnight, the midnight Easter Mass, with a huge celebration of baptism. So not a bad thing. But where did it really get started? Here's what people think is most likely. Um, if you start stomping around the 4th century, somewhere between about 336 uh, to about um, 430, all of a sudden Lent starts popping up all over the place. There's a um, kind of a manual on how to do stuff called the Apostolic Constitutions. That's from 375 to 380. And then there's the Canon of Hippolytus, which is from 336 to 340. Uh, and then 339, you have Athanasius of Alexandria. Don't you like all this name dropping? <laughs> and then you have St. Augustine. Oh, there's one we kind of know. And he's from 354 to AD uh, 430. All these people write about Lent being a time of fasting. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then out of that, we still have controversy. I love this. So um, it looks like the whole boat kind of landed with the Council of Nicaea. And, um, and, and that's when everything got kind of consolidated because there were various practices throughout the church. And of course, at this point, the church is a big organization with a bit of bureaucracy. So things start getting standardized and routinized and institutionalized like a big corporation. And around this point... Uh, at the Council of Nicaea, it's like, tudum. Now we have Lent. Now we shall all fast. Okay. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. That it was it sounds like it in some places, not universally. It mm-hmm. was kind of the the time when the church set aside for more mass baptisms. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Mm-hmm the baptism then would happen on Easter, which makes a lot of sense from yeah. our conversation yeah. on baptism that um, that's, you know, that's the resurrection day. So if you, if mm-hmm. you're, as we talked about in the baptism episode where you're going down, your, your sins are being put to death and you're mm-hmm. coming up to new life. Yeah. Um, you're almost reenacting that the, the resurrection oh, yeah. on Easter Sunday. So um I can see the, the the connection there, yeah, uh, yeah. In, in big ways. Um, but then the council, you said the Council of Nicaea is when they almost made it a universal Lent as the fasting time. Yeah. Now, now maybe we can get into fasting a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. this is a whole other episode as well. Every time we talk about these things, I think <laughs> here's a here's twenty more ideas for episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, why was fasting the thing that led up mm-hmm. to a baptism. Oh, this is this is really good. Or to to Easter. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're is are they are they fasting for the mm-hmm. baptism or are they fasting for Easter? 
fasting for Easter. Okay. Um, and, and this is really, I think this is very important. There's a shift, okay, when the church is still evangelizing the ancient Middle East, and I would include the Roman Empire, um, then it would make more sense that Lent would be a time of, of basically learning what it means to follow Jesus, culminating in baptism. But by the time you get to the Council of Nicaea, this whole area is is now um, basically completely evangelized. Again, we're going to use that in quotes because a better way to put it is it's now uh, about the, around this time that uh, the Edict of Milan is issued by Constantine and the church becomes the official re- religion of Rome. Mm-hmm. So once that happens, then in theory, the job's done with evangelism. So now what do you do? Again, the job is not done, but that's kind of how it felt back then. And so they switched it from pre-baptismal process of some kind now to um, a time to prepare uh, for for Easter, and that it would involve all kinds of things like a, a time of reflection. Fasting was one of them. In fact, fasting was required. And, and back then when the church required something, if you didn't do it, you were in sin. So at this point... If you don't fast with all the other boys and girls, now you're sinning. And, and so that's basically when that happened. Okay, so what would you fast from? Most of the time, food. Um, you know, And there's various kinds of fasts you could have. But I think in this case, they're, they're referring to food fasts. Um, would you fast the entire time? Probably not. Uh, I know the modern fasting in the Catholic Church is that you're, we have no meat Fridays all the way through Lent, and so we eat fish instead. Um, and I would call that fasting light, you know. And there's many cases where a, a strict spiritual discipline of the third and fourth century then becomes something much easier by the time it, it hits the medieval church. And one was no meat Fridays, probably started out from a total fast Friday. Okay. Um, let's let's focus a little bit more in on on fasting for mm-hmm. a bit because mm-hmm. um, when when I was growing up and it was always you know they're you're giving up something for Lent yeah people have probably heard about that before oh, yeah. and maybe don't understand why mm-hmm. we do that or, mm-hmm. or um, you know I've I've there's a passage I think in Matthew where Jesus is asked um, why don't your followers fast mm-hmm. and he says well why the bridegroom is here. They don't, mm-hmm. basically, I'm yeah. paraphrasing. Um, but when he leaves, they will again, mm-hmm. or, or something to that effect. Yeah. Is, that, mm-hmm. is that right? Maybe yeah. I should have just pulled it up. But Oh, no, that's um, accurate. But yeah. I've heard it said, you know, that maybe Christians don't need to fast until, you know, the second coming, mm-hmm. or... Um, then there's this argument that maybe it's maybe it's now. Like, what, what's the what's the case for for fasting? What is what is fasting? Maybe in the Old Testament, New mm-hmm. Testament, how does that develop in in the Bible? Well, this is interesting. We don't get off the hook that easily about fasting. Yeah, um, Protestants in many ways were knee jerking about a lot of these things. Um, they were sort of resisting institutionalizing practices. You know where. Uh, for example, um, again, in the Roman Catholic Church, even to this day, um, Sunday Mass is a holy day of obligation. And and if you don't attend Mass or don't have a good reason why you don't, that's a mortal sin. Um, and, um, you know, things don't come out of nowhere, so chances are there was a period of time where they had tr- trouble getting people to attend Mass. So let's make a rule. You have to. Um, I mean, and we Protestants 
do some of the same stuff. So, you know, this is not a Catholic issue. This is just Christians tend to like to make rules when people aren't being nice all by themselves. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really work very well, but details. So um, let's talk about giving up things for Lent. Uh, by the way, when I was a kid, a couple times I gave up Lent for Lent. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. No, I'm not sure. I think it was cheating. Yeah. Um, what that is supposed to be is a kind of fast. Um, fasting isn't limited to food. Uh, you could fast from your credit card. Um, you could fast from TV. Um, and in fact, if you read Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, and he's a Quaker, uh, he talks about the various kinds of fasts. Um, fast from going out to Starbucks and paying three bucks a cup of coffee. Maybe make your own, you know, at, at 75 cents a cup of coffee. Um by the way, I'm a frequent Starbucks flyer, so I this is um, I, I don't want to throw Starbucks under uh, the bus. Fine place, um, but um, so giving up for Lent is is again probably a version of fasting. Um, so why would we fast, whether it's food or anything else? Uh, often it's a time to create space to focus on something else instead of whatever you are fasting from. So you might take the time that you go and get coffee to maybe read scripture or pray. Um, or if, let's say, uh, you fast from something that costs money, you might save that money up and then give it away to someone who needs it. Um, so th it's it's not that you're fasting from something, you're fasting for something. Mm. Um, in other words, you're creating space for another activity. The other thing is it's also about self-discipline, which I think in this culture is very helpful, is in our culture, if you have an impulse, you act on it. You know, instant gratification, I want, I get. And sometimes it's okay to say, I want, but I'm not going to get. Then ask yourself, why do I need this so bad? You know, if, if you, let's say, fast from eating ice cream every night, and, what, and, and suddenly you find yourself miserable every evening, you might discover you have a, a mild form of an addiction on your hands where you're missing the dopamine hit of all that sugar. And is that a good thing? Maybe want to think about that. Um, so um, if we're fasting for just creating space, let's say we were not going to Starbucks because it takes you know a good 15 minutes of it every day, you might have a conversation with God during that time. And, and and then begin asking, hey, yeah, how much are we? Have we been talking much? You know, um, and, and so um, now notice um, there. I'll just kind of jump over here to the spiritual practices since we're kind of in the middle of that, anyways. That's what um, what fasting is. And again, the touchstone for all things Lent is Catholic. Um, they're the ones who kind of invented it. And so they're, they're the pros. We Protestants are mere amateurs. <laughs> so they have these three pillars of Lent that go right in there, and fasting is one of them. The other one is prayer. And, and then the third one is almsgiving or generosity. And again, all three of these are spiritual practices that, that are practiced across the entire body of Christ. And so what, what Lent does is sort of create space for you to lean back into the practices that help you grow in your relationship towards God. That would be prayer and scripture um, that help you begin to think about how you respond to God, and that would be fasting. And then also how you love your neighbor, and that would be almsgiving. And so these are actually quite good things. And, and so 
fasting is sort of at the center of it because it creates space for the other two. So Lent is kind of um, it's kind of a a, a a corporate spiritual practice, yeah. that we all go through together at mm-hmm. the same time, mm-hmm. um, rather than um, kind of doing these things. Not really. I don't want to say on our own, but mm-hmm. but it's 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 a chance where every Christian on the planet, yeah, is is kind of doing the same thing and acknowledging mm-hmm. the same thing, walking yeah. through the same yeah. path. Um, where do we see fasting in the Old Testament? Like what what mm-hmm. is what's happening each of those times that that we see those occurring? Ah, yes, um, fasting is pretty cool, and if you start. Um, kind of rummaging around the Old Testament, you discover that fasting is often um, for a period of mourning. So if you had a loved one die, um, you might mourn. Uh, It's also a time where you engage in an increased uh, conversation with God. Like when David had a child that was dying, he fasted and prayed for the healing of his child. Now, the child ultimately died, and then everybody was like, well, why aren't you fasting now in mourning? And at that point, he kind of said, well, you know, what's done is done. But you think about it, he already was mourning ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the two will go together. Fasting is also a time to create space to reflect on your life and then come clean with God on things that you and he really need to talk about. In other words, fasting for confession. Um, fasting can also be a way of of learning how to not um, engage in instant gratification. And that discipline comes in real handy when you want to work on putting the neighbor first. Um, so if you're not used to just sort of feeding every every desire and impulse you have. Um, oh, there's a bunch of others. Um, fasting, sometimes when you're in distress or you're in a crisis. Uh, in Second Kings, um, that's one of the history letters in the Old Testament, um, there's a King Jehoshaphat, and at this point, Judea has shrunk because the surrounding nations have kind of nibbled at it. And then there's this, this big, massive alliance that wants to take them completely out. And so Jehoshaphat calls all the people of Judea into the capital city for a time of prayer and fasting. And this is the phrase prayer and fasting shows up all over both the Old and New Testament. And, um, and so they begin to fast and pray, and out of it, a minor official of the temple gets a download that the way they're going to win this battle is A, trust God, and B, send out the worship team first. And I can mm. already see the worship team going, thanks a lot. Mm. So they actually do that. They put the worship team ahead of the army, and when they get to the battlefield, they discover that God has already fought the battle for them because the alliance has turned against itself and slaughtered itself. Um and then also we see in the New Testament fasting for important decisions. Um, and, and so at this point you're fasting for discernment, which again is you're fasting there's prayer involved. Yeah. So you can see fasting is kind of this all-purpose tool. Yeah. Are there any examples in either the Old or New Testament where fasting is not food? Um What's popularly called the Daniel fast, there's some question, I think, in my mind whether it's truly a fast, mm-hmm. because the narrative in the book of Daniel, where, where Daniel refuses to eat the food at the king's table because it's all been sacrificed up to the uh, the Babylonian gods. Instead, he eats basically simple vegetables and, I think, yeah. 
and 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 for and it's been popular recently to call that a Daniel fast. But again, I'm not so sure from the scriptural standpoint it's being labeled as such. Um, I, I can tell you some really cool ones here. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of some of them. Um, you know, again, I think that if you want to look at, at the main characters of the Bible, Moses fasted, Elijah fasted, Jesus fasted. Mm-hmm. You know, and as they say, if it's good enough for Jesus, it must be good enough for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, so kind of going back to Lent. Mm-hmm. Now, Lent is this time of, they always say, 40 days mm-hmm. before Easter, right? Mm-hmm. Starting on Ash Wednesday. Let's, yeah. mm-hmm. let's first talk about what Ash Wednesday is and where that come from. Ah, yeah. Because that kicks off the, the Lenten season. Mm-hmm. Then the other place I want to go with this is, it's always seen as this 40 days before mm-hmm. Easter. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really 40 days, right? Uh, well, <laughs> so, it depends on which tradition you are, but I would say for Lutherans, Episcopalians, and Catholics, it's it's not... 40 days, it, it's 40 days plus a bunch of Sundays. Right. And then the big right. debate is, are the Sundays actually in Lent? Yeah. And yeah. and that varies by tradition. Yeah. So let's start with the Ash Wednesday, you bet. which is this coming Wednesday, the mm-hmm. 14th. Um, where does the Ash Wednesday start? Like, is it just a day that is like, okay, we need something to to start mm-hmm. off this this Lent mm-hmm. season? Um, or, or is there something more behind it? Yeah. Um, it, the Wednesday is actually not so random. Because in, again, church tradition, you would have had um, the uh, Sunday of the Transfiguration, and then Monday and Tuesday are called Shrove Monday and Shrove Tuesday. And Shrove comes from the word, an old English word that means repentance. So on Monday and Tuesday, you reflect on your life. And then on Wednesday, you come together to do it corporately. And um, Ash Wednesday is derived from a phrase uh, that's in Genesis 3, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so we're, we corporately come together to grieve the rebellion of our first parents and, 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 and the broken relationships and the violence and the death that occurred because of it, and, and that we are mortal and there's nothing we can do to change our situation, but God can. Mm-hmm. And and so this is sort of the beginning of the process by sort of kind of taking a good hard stare at the problem. Okay. And and again, the, the the problem we would call sin, and again is rebellion against God, alienation from God and each other, and then the ensuing violence and, and bad behavior and death that that follows. So, is there anything in the Lenten season with the fast having mm-hmm. to do with? We talk about fasting from food, mm-hmm. but if we start out with this acknowledgement that, like, that we're mortal, that there's a sin problem, mm-hmm. and then we fast, mm-hmm. is there anything behind like fasting? I mean, we always want to be fasting from sin, right? Right, right. <laughs> Avoiding exactly. sin, mm-hmm. but is is fasting have any tie to the sin part of it that we just talked about in the? previous episode oh yeah um if we were to go to the day of atonement um that's an old testament feast um where you fast before it so the day of atonement is is the the one day of the year when the high priest goes into the holy of holies of the temple this is the the god space or the heaven and earth space and this is god's throne room and um 
Basically, the job of the priest is to mediate an atonement ritual where all the sins that have been committed that past year that have not been covered by the sacrifices are now taken care of. So the way it would work is there would be two goats, and um, the priest would take one goat and lay hands on the goat and commit all the sins of the people onto that goat, and that goat would then be sent out into the desert, and, and that would be known as the scapegoat. Uh, in other words, the goat's not responsible for the sins, but ritually the goat takes responsibility for things he did not commit. This is setting up a pattern of thought because one of the words for forgive that's often associated with God is God carries our sins even though he didn't commit them, and that's called forgiveness. Um, so the goat carries our sins, so it's, he's a God symbol. The other goat then is sacrificed, and, and the blood of the goat is brought in and sprinkled upon the God space of the altar, the Holy of Holies, and it becomes sort of a spiritual detergent to clean the place, because sins kind of mess up God's house, so then we wash off the mess. Uh, it's sort of like repainting the whole business. Um, so, But there's a fast before that. And so that's the Old Testament connection to fasting before a forgiveness ritual. Okay. Back to kind of the, the 40 days. Uh -huh. Now, let's just go into like the, the how do you count the 40 days and do the Sundays yeah. count mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, how would you start us off there? Well, in theory, uh, starting with Ash Wednesday, going all the way to Holy Saturday, that should be 40 days or thereabouts. Now, if you add the Sundays in, it's more than 40. So, um, again, some traditions subtract the 40s. Um, some Lutherans um, will not, will, will, will not um, celebrate Lent on Sundays. And there's all these ritual changes in the traditional Lutheran liturgy during Lent that they won't do. because Well, because we're not in Lent on Sunday. Um, I don't think that's very helpful, even though it's kind of clever, because the point is not to get out of Lent, mm -hmm. um, because Lent is a place where we look at the mess and make and come back to the cross. And we human beings like to pretend we have no mess. So if there's a corporate discipline that 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 puts us in the mess and says, "Look, you know, let's let's get honest and get on the same page with God," and that's actually what the New Testament word "confess" means. That's a good thing. So forty. Where does this come from? Well, bef before mm -hmm. that, yeah, then, uh -huh. then for the the I guess the tradition that that Lent is not mm -hmm. part of, or uh, Sundays are not part of Lent, mm -hmm. um, is that meant as like a time where the fast can is is over? Like you're not fasting anymore for mm -hmm. that one day, and then then is is that that how people uh, view it, or is that part of what you're saying? With it doesn't really make a lot of sense to stop Lent. Yeah, um, nobody would have fasted the entirety of Lent. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be in incredibly good shape to literally <laughs> fast for 40 days. I have a friend who did it, yeah. and he looked pretty rough at the end of it, and right. he did have his dog walking with him. Yep. Um, chances are there was a day out of the week they fasted, probably mm -hmm. Fridays, yep. um, which is where we get the fish Fridays, mm -hmm. or the meatless Fridays, um, beefless Fridays, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, but even even in, mm -hmm. in you know mm -hmm. modern times, yeah. you hear about people fasting from social media. They're giving up social media for mm -hmm. Lent or whatever it is, yeah. and then, mm -hmm. then it's a, a full Lent yeah. fast. I'd Those do. would be. And um, now here's the reason some people um, 
um, will not um, celebrate Lent on Sundays. It's so arcane and so obscure. The issue is over whether you sing a particular set of songs or not. So, in a liturgical church, a traditional Lutheran, Episcopalian, or Roman Catholic, there's a pattern of songs you sing, and in one of them is a song that's entitled Glory to God, or in Latin, the Glory in Excelsis. And that is sung as a hymn of praise at the front of the service. The other one is, is a song you sing right before the reading of the gospel, and it's called the Alleluia. Now, in most churches during Lent that are liturgical, they will replace the Alleluia with something called a tract, and it's usually a song about repentance. The Lutheran one is, Return to the Lord your God, for he is kind and merciful. Um, and then the, the, the song of praise is simply omitted. And that's to sort of ritually say, this is a period of mourning for our sins. We don't sing happy music. Hmm. Um, whether that's always culturally appropriate or not is another matter, but you know, if you are listening to this saying, well, so what, then you're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, again, if you, if, if you are in a congregation where these rituals make sense, then yeah, um, then it makes sense to omit that stuff as a symbolic way of saying we're in a time of, of ritual mourning together for the mess of the world and, and our participation in that mess and preparing for then the day we celebrate when God did something about the mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really it. I, again, I even think the people who are, are, you know, still singing the glory to God and still singing the hallelujah, chances are they don't let people off the hook with the fast or really honestly, if I came up to any one of, of, of the pastors here at our church, hope, uh, and said, you know, if, you know, is it wrong to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, you know, end my fast on Sundays, they'd probably say, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think most Catholic priests would say that, and so would most Episcopalian priests. You know, yeah. So it's more about the the, the spiritual discipline of it the, mm-hmm. than the um, rigidness of the rules of it. Yeah, um, and everyone kind of maybe does it in a, in a little bit different way, but absolutely. Um, okay, so now onto the the, the forty days because mm-hmm. that's a significant number mm-hmm. in the Bible. So yeah. why forty? What what's what, where, how does the, the number 40 develop as a significant mm-hmm. thing in the Bible? Well, it's interesting. The, basically, if you were to, to kind of stomp around both the, uh, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, uh, you discover that the, the, the number 40 is often a, a symbol for an in-between time or the middle of a journey uh, or some kind of process that usually leads to growth. And so, for example, Moses fasted for 40 days on Mount Sinai while receiving God's law. This is in Exodus 34. Um, Jesus, and, he, and this is one of the most obvious ones, fasted um, for 40 days before being tempted by the devil. Uh, and you can find that in Matthew 4 and, and, and also Luke 4. Um, that's not Luke 4. That, yeah, that's correct, yes. Um, and then Isaiah fasted for 40 days as he journeyed to Mount Sinai, or it's also called Mount Horeb. Um, Elijah. Excuse me? Elijah. Elijah. What did I say, Moses? Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it looks yeah. like that. It's got an eye in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's Elijah. Um, and then there's more 40s. Uh, rain fell for 40 days with the flood. Uh, Israel encountered 40 years of wandering. David and Solomon reigned for 40 years. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days. 
So you can see 40 is 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 also long enough to make you really sick and tired of it. Yeah. You know, so there's a sense of stress to it um and and testing that goes with 40. So in a lot of ways, um, oh, this is where it gets super nerdy. So Moses fasts for 40 days while he is on Mount Sinai. Elijah fasts for 40 days as he's journeying to Mount Sinai. And Jesus was crucified on a hill, just like Mount Sinai is a hill. Um, and, and so you've got some parallels there. So you fast up to the Mount Sinai of the cross, you know, and that connection's been made. I'm clearly I'm not the one who thought that one up. Um, so, you know, and at this point, you know, when the law was given, it, it was basically a description of the freedom that God had given them being rescued from Egypt. And the cross gives us freedom from the Egypt of sin, death, and the devil. So you can see that while um, the 40 days of Lent don't have direct biblical mandate, it's um, symbolically pulling a ton from Scripture. So would you say any of those things, um, any of those things where maybe 40 days is mentioned throughout the Bible, mm-hmm. the the reason for that 40, the fasting from, or the, the, the morning, or the um, making space for God, or prayer, all those sort of mm-hmm. things have significance packed into Lent, or yeah. is that making too much out of it? No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, is is Lent is that corporate time, and not only are we mourning the brokenness of ourselves in the world, we are also engaging on a symbolic journey with Jesus to the cross and then to the resurrection. Um, and, and to me, that's huge. And here's the thing about a corporate discipline that I think is just so important. I'm going to use an example from TV, the TV show Friends which was like the favorite for a whole lot of people. And I can remember going to work and everybody was, everybody was talking about the most recent episode of Friends. So, And there were even articles written that Friends was not just a TV show, but a communal experience of an entire generation that they walked together were the two stories that our story got caught up in the Friends story. Hmm. Um. And so, the same thing is true of a corporate discipline is we journey together, we can process it together, we can talk about it together, and then the story of the community of, of, of Christians then is caught up in the story of Jesus. And, 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 you know, one of the things we know about community is it makes things easier to do, it increases impact, uh, and often there's more transformation in community than alone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all of this makes perfect sense. Yeah. So the, uh, Lent is like we said this time leading up to Easter. Easter happened during the the Passover time. Mm-hmm. Is there any connection between Passover mm-hmm. and Lent? Yeah, obviously we talked about like you said there's not really a not really a precursor to Lent in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um but there is to Easter and that's Passover. And yeah. so how yeah. how if at if at all do those things overlap or interconnect. Well, Lent makes use of connections with Passover, but there was no fasting in the Old Testament connected with Passover. Uh, What there was instead was a meal that was connected with Passover, because the actual Passover is the angel of death passing over the people of Israel. And then during that time, they had a meal. Um, And um, this is um, where they took a lamb, 
and and then they took and they killed it, and then they, they took the blood of the lamb and smeared it on the doorpost. And then wherever the angel of death saw that doorpost with the blood, he passed over. Um, and then they feasted on the lamb and ate everything. And what they didn't eat, they burnt completely up. Um, and that has resonances with all the other meals where somebody makes a promise to somebody else. Um, what they're called covenant meals and sacrifices are covenant meals. And so this is almost... Uh, a meal where it's not reminding people of a covenant, but getting ready for people to witness God making good on a covenant that he's going to um, be with his people and even rescue them from slavery. Um, so in Lent, where that happens is, um, and this is one of these debates where Lent ends, one tradition is Lent ends with Maundy Thursday, Um and you can technically say so. So just as there was Shrove Monday and Shrove Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, then Lent runs into Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. And Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday are known in the Catholic tradition as the Triduum, which means the thirds or the threes. Um, so we go into a kind of an intensification of the drama so when we hit Maundy Thursday, there's two things happening here. One is it's the celebration of the Passover with Jesus. And some congregations actually have a Seder meal uh, where they engage in the Jewish rit rit ritual of Passover. Most congregations just have the Lord's Supper because that's also the institution of the Lord's Supper. Some congregations have foot washing, which actually goes with Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy comes from the Latin word mandatum, or the old English word mandate, and, and, or command. And the command is that we love one another even as Jesus has loved us. So hence the foot washing is a symbol of that. The Lord's Supper is definitely a symbol of that. This is my body. This is my blood given for you. And among other things, Jesus is pointing to what he's actually going to do on the cross, which then takes us to Good Friday, where we meditate on the death of Jesus and his suffering. And then Holy Saturday is almost like a dinky little Lent, because it's the period in between where nothing happens. And often that's a day to stop and reflect on all that has gone on. You can imagine the original disciples just sitting in shell shock. You know, it, it's all over. What do we do now? Mm -hmm. And then finally we have Easter when everything just goes bananas and we just party a little bit. Mm -hmm. So growing up when I was, I grew up in the church, um, but I don't, I don't know if I ever really understood Lent all that mm -hmm, much. Mm -hmm. we, I, I didn't, I didn't fast in any, I didn't give yeah, anything yeah. up until uh, I was a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Um if someone's listening here and mm -hmm. and maybe is not um, engaged in the, the, the spiritual discipline or the spiritual pra practice mm -hmm. of uh, recognizing Lent, mm -hmm. um, how would you encourage them to approach this season, mm -hmm. um, but also kind of engage with mm -hmm. it? I would say this: um, as you approach Lent, one there's there's several things you could do. And, and all of these are ancient practices. Number one, what would it mean to read through a gospel during Lent? You know, and so that you end the gospel on Easter Sunday. You know, that would be a very fascinating exercise. So you walk with Jesus all the way to the cross by scripture study. Um, 
So that'd be one thing. The other would mean, what would it mean to be more intentional about obeying the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which goes to um, the traditional practices of prayer and almsgiving. Um, you know, and almsgiving could be just how will you love your neighbor well, and what could you learn that could be a sustainable practice of loving your neighbor well all year round. So you could use Lent as a way to kind of get back in the groove. You know, if um, let's say you've served at a soup kitchen and that kind of just wore off because life got busy, what, what would it mean to get back there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that you know that is that would fall under almsgiving. Um, it might be a time to to begin to intentionalize your conversation with God, which would be prayer. Um, and or you might go on a, on a spiritual retreat and and you know uh, maybe once or maybe once a week even yeah, go do do a silent retreat in some place where you just you and God have you and God time. There's all kinds of creative ways that you could use Lent. Um, whatever you do, I would do it for something because none of those spiritual practices are going to make God like you anymore. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of times, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, it doesn't matter. People do things for Lent to make themselves more religious, hoping God likes them a little more. And, um, you know, God's like, whatever. He says, I already like you. I died for you. Yeah. Well, I like the idea, um, of reading through a gospel, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You think about, I was just going real quick through my head, like Mark is 16 chapters and yeah. Luke is 24. You can mm-hmm. you can almost read through two, like one chapter a day yeah. for 40 days, mm-hmm. it's 40 chapters right there. Um, but as I listen to you, I like the, the reframing of it as uh, giving up something for something. Yeah. Um, and sort of this, I get the sense of just creating space to almost have less distractions silence yeah. and listening mm-hmm. in and and that's where the kind of the prayer comes in yeah um because of the fasting element mm-hmm. it's almost like getting rid of a distraction yeah yeah so that you can hear from god mm-hmm. better um so all of those like i'm i'm just writing down those notes mm-hmm. of what what i want to do because i yeah. haven't i haven't figured out exactly what i want to do either oh, so cool. um so specifically as Lutherans, mm-hmm. since we're Lutherans, mm-hmm. is there something unique that Lutherans do mm-hmm. um, or bring to the the Lent season? I can tell you what we did historically, and um, is when Lent occurred in the medieval church, there were a whole lot of things you did to get uh, basically to earn favor with God. That was just the way everybody thought. And Luther revolted against that, saying, you know, you can't do that. It's all been taken care of at the cross. So the other one was, and you still see this in both Protestant and Catholic churches, in the medieval church, there would often be a meditation on the sufferings of Christ, which is not the end of the world. Um, but it was sort of like, now that Jesus did all this for you, what are you going to do for him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just shaming. And, and and Jesus isn't coming saying now now you know pay pay the dues you know I died for you so I, I expect a little back. That's almost that attitude you know where they would say look how Jesus suffered for you you know you can do a little for him if he did all this. That's not sustainable. Shame never gets anybody into a permanent life change or you know a permanent practice of any kind. So what Luther did instead is is he had all the churches in his movement engage in an intense period of teaching. 
So, and this is common in Lutheran churches to this day, where they'll have a special Wednesday night service and they'll walk through Scripture. Um, and um, now we we unfortunately can't do. We started doing this at Hope, but we ran out of space, and we would have to stop confirmation if we did that, and that's not something we want to do. So instead, often we will have a special emphasis or a special sermon series. One of the things we also do is we do a Lenten project, which again would follow under one of the traditional disciplines of almsgiving, where we will partner with, uh, whether it's some um, um, service agency in the city or, or some global mission agency, and, and we'll basically come alongside and say, how can you know, we help you given the resources we have? And, so, and you know, it, we also have a thing close to Lent. Sometimes it's actually in Lent called the Super Bowl. And this is where on Super Bowl Sunday, um, we just packed. Spelled differently. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So U P E R Bowl Sunday. Yeah. That uh, we avoided the copyright problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, we go and get cans of everything from soup um, to other dry goods, and and then we distribute them to all the uh, the food pantries across the region. Um, and so at that point, we're we're practicing acting like Jesus. And that's probably the predominant discipline here at, at Hope um, is is serving the neighbor during Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wouldn't, it, you know, there's nothing stopping a small group from doing something unique mm-hmm. um, or an individual, you know. Um, and sometimes we do have a special sermon series during Lent mm-hmm. um, where we're focusing on an aspect of who Jesus is. So, um, and that's, and then obviously at Hope, because we're Lutheran, we also do Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and and clearly Easter. Well, I, you know, one of our, our core values here is that we worship God, not tradition. Yeah. And what, what I'm taking away from this conversation is, you know, this is, it's it's a tradition that has been going in um, in the church for a very long time yeah. That's that's based on a lot of... Um, has a lot of scriptural basis mm-hmm. um, for the purpose of corporate spiritual disciplines. But mm-hmm. if we're just going through the tradition of Lent without um, growing closer yeah. to God because mm-hmm. of it, yeah. then we're kind of missing, then it's just a tradition for mm-hmm. tradition's sake, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, I would, there, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, is there anything else that you would, you think we need to cover that we've, we've missed on this conversation? Um, I think feel like I have a better mm-hmm. idea of what we're going mm-hmm. into during Lent, and um, it's helping me at least to, if no one else, to shape <laughs> what what how I want to mm-hmm. uh, approach Lent. I would say this. Um, so I want to go back to what you said about going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Here is what I would ask yourself: uh, at the end of Lent, do you feel you have a deeper relationship with God, and and are you loving your neighbor better? Mm-hmm. So, and again. Um, I would never ask somebody else that. That would be legalism. But as yeah. you're setting goals for yourself, I think the two big goals of Lent is learning how to love your neighbor better and learning also how to love God better. Mm-hmm. And then you ask yourself, are the practices that I think I might engage in going to help that do nothing or get in the way? Yeah. So, And the same practice can get in the way. So if you're doing something just to go through the motions, that's going to get in the way. On the other hand, the very same practice might draw you closer to God or help you serve the neighbor better. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier when the when the um, when rules were created in the the uh, the um, the church in the past, mm-hmm. 
because there were issues with whether it's attendance or you know whatever it is yeah. attending worship wasn't the issue it was it was the, the, the almost the forcing upon it of making it just like oh as i as you say a a, a gotta versus a getta yeah. I, I gotta go do this rather than I get to yeah. go do this. So Here, here's an extreme example. In Spain, uh, being a Jew was outlawed. And mm-hmm. so the way Jews survived is they pretended they were Christians and they would go to Mass and then quietly on Saturday they would celebrate synagogue services. Um on and, and um you had the same thing in England where they outlawed Catholics. And so they would go to the Church of England on Sunday, and then they would go to various people's houses where there would be a secret door in the paneling of, let's say, the living room, and you open those panels up, and there would be a Catholic altar. And then they would celebrate Mass. Hmm. So the the Church, whether it's Protestant or Catholic, seems to not get that rules can always be skirted. Yeah. And just because you make somebody do something doesn't mean you've transformed them. Hmm. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. You bet.